Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and boy, over the break, I was able to clean the studio up because the guys just left from Guy Talk, and you know, he's got to air it out a little bit and a little bit of sweeping up, take out the water bottles, the pop cans, and Tom Brock's candy wrappers. But it's all fun, and we're really glad that uh, you just joined us. If you missed any of the show, I always encourage you to go to myfaithradio.com. Maybe you like consuming podcasts. We've got one, and you don't have to miss a show, so myfaithradio.com. My guest in studio now is Marshall Siegel. I'm getting to know him, and the more he comes in, the more I want him in. He's a writer and managing editor at DesiringGod.org. He's the author of Not Married Yet, The Pursuit of Joy in Singleness and Dating, and he graduated from Bethlehem College and Seminary, and he lives here in Minneapolis with his wife and two kids. Marshall, welcome back. So good to be back. Missed you guys. Well, thank you for saying that, because we miss you. And we had your colleague David Matheson this week, and we love the Desiring God folk. Well, we love you too. Yeah, and I'll start with John and Pam Bloom, who we adored. Yeah, so, they're great. Yeah. Learning from them all the time. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about encouragement today. Someone out there needs it. Yeah, they do. I know I do. And uh, actually just came here from a meeting, coffee meeting with a friend that I've met with for probably nearly a decade now. And I think encouragement is the best word to describe what happens when I meet with him. And and I've been digging more into what does it mean to encourage somebody. I read an article that said that, – that suggested that the ministry of encouragement might be the most overlooked ministry in the New Testament. Wow. That's surprising. And so I started to look. And not only is that true, I think, one at least one of the most overlooked ministries – but a, a fuller picture of encouragement started to emerge as I looked at it. I think I can get, I can functionally have ideas of encouragement that are pretty shallow and thin. Just complimenting somebody for doing something well, mm-hmm. affirmation. But encouragement, it actually means to give courage. To encourage someone is to give courage. Courage, And when you look at encouragement in the Bible, that's really what's going on in, in the vast majority of cases. It's giving someone courage to do what God has called them to do. That's very different from just telling someone they did some, something pretty well. I'm learning something new every day because <laughs> I would not have put that application on that word. But now I'm looking at it differently. Yeah, I am too. And, and the more that I looked into it, the more I realized that that you need an awful lot of courage in the Christian life. We don't think of it that way. You think about the things that God calls us to do every day. I think every Christian needs a steady stream of encouragement, of courage to endure suffering, to reject temptation, to sacrifice in love, to embrace the discipline of the Lord when it comes, to persevere in ministry, to trust and obey God. We need courage all the time. We probably don't think of it that way a lot of times. We, we might think of it in the, in the hardest things of life. But every day we need courage to take the next step, to keep trusting God, to obey God. And so encouragement is vital. 
I think a life without encouragement is a life without the fuel needed to overcome these obstacles to keep taking risks, keep loving, keep obeying when it's hard to love. And I'm excited that we're talking about today because I think surprisingly, the holidays can be one of the hardest times for a lot of folks. And so when you think about the courage, you don't, you don't associate courage with Christmas. But I know enough people that the holidays can be very hard. It can be hard to persevere over these days and weeks because you've got loss in your family. You've got struggle in your family. You've got, uh, I, I know a family that lost a child in a horrible accident five years ago. And, I, and I, we just got to note that, that this year's the hard. it's been the hardest this time of year. So they need courage. And if we just think of encouragement as, hey, you're doing a good job, a pat on the back, that's not going to get you through the kind of trials, the fires, the risks, the temptations that we face. We need to learn how to give each other courage. It's so important because you can say to somebody, I want to encourage you because we all need courage. What a great way to set an encouragement up. And that sounds different from an affirmation. Hey, great great job on the Anderson Report. Right. And, and I, this is not to be down on affirmation. I think affirmation is a really... I agree really important part of encouragement. But I do think we need to distinguish encouragement from flattery in particular. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of encouragement as a pat on the back, um, that can really easily just slide into flattery. We could talk about some of the things that set flattery apart from encouragement in the Bible. But that's one of the things that I really want to discern in my in, in my giving of encouragement to other people and in my receive, how I receive encouragement, am I just looking for a word that makes me feel a little bit better about myself? Is that what I, is that what I experience as encouragement? Because that's not how the Bible uh, defines and models encouragement. Mm-hmm. No, we want words that help us, that, that grow not our confidence in self, but our confidence in God. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. And, and that's what's over the long haul going to stir love and obedience in a person, in a soul. That's Marshall Siegel who's talking, and he's saying wise and smart things on my show. And I want to encourage you, give you courage to continue talking about the difference between encouragement and flattery. See how I weave that in? It's great. <laughs> let's, put a, let's put a text on it. Just because I wonder how many of you listening, I wonder how many of you think of flattery as dangerous. If encouragement is vital, we have to have encouragement to endure in the Christian life. We need a steady stream of courage just for the everyday, ordinary, hard Christian life. We need courage. So I wonder if, if courage is if, if encouragement is vital, I wonder if you think of flattery as dangerous. You might think of it as dishonest uh, or unloving, but do you think of it as dangerous? I'm just put a text on it for you. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a wow. flattering mouth, a flattering mouth works ruin. That is not what flattery feels like in most cases. It does not feel like hatred, and it does not feel like ruin. Mm-hmm. It feels nice. Someone said something nice about me, and yeah, they might have exaggerated it a little bit, but. That felt really good. And, and God is warning us in Proverbs here, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Flattery hates the person it flatters. It ruins them if it's not checked. That's the exact opposite of encouragement. So 
part of what I want to point out is that flattery, as good as it can feel in the moment, flattery poisons what encouragement nurtures. It works against it. So even though they can be similar and it can be hard to draw the line between them, they're working spiritually in a soul. They're working in a heart. They're working in opposite directions. They're counteracting each other. And so I want help discerning what's encouragement and what's flattery because mm-hmm. I don't want to be encouraged by flattery and I don't want to try to encourage somebody else with flattery. I want mm-hmm. to encourage somebody with encouragement. I really want to ask uh, everyone listening to send me a text if you can and you're able as how long ago were you last encouraged where you said, oh, that was the most encouraging thing that was said to me. How long ago was it? 877-933-2484. When is the last time you were really encouraged? That's the difference. Marshall Siegel is my guest in studio as we're talking about how important encouragement is. And you're saying so many wise things, uh, Marshall. Again, I, I just I don't want to be um, overselling this, but encouragement is critical to our well-being. It is. And, it, and as people answer that question, as they, as they message you, I mean, it's just important to think when you, because I asked that question in the article, when's the last time that you felt meaningfully encouraged by someone? Um, a lot of us just gravitate toward when did somebody affirm me? Yes. And so I, I don't, I want you to try to think past that. That might be, that might really be encouragement in, in particular cases, but just when was the last time you talked to somebody or heard a message and it, it caused you to take risks or to press on in faithfulness, in love, in ministry, in relationships, in ways that you wouldn't have if they didn't encourage you. It, it gave you the strength, the inner strength or courage you needed to take the next step in love. That's what, that's what we want to look out, be on the lookout for. And we want relationships that do that for us. We want to look out for friends and people within the church that can be that kind of encouragement Mar- to us. Marshall, do you think uh, real encouragement uh, is visionary in a way. When I look at you and I say, you know what, Marshall, one day you're going to be the most amazing writer in the Twin Cities, period. And you're going to go, wow, you're thinking pretty significant thoughts about me and my writing, right? Yeah, so that could be flattery. I, okay, because that's, All right. that's, that's, uh, you may really have a vision of what that could be like, but but again, saying I'm going to be a great writer is a way of encouraging my sense of my own gifting, which is, again, I'm not there's – a, there's an element of that that's, that's probably a part of good encouragement. But more importantly is to help – we are, the, the distractions of this life, the thorns that, that grow up in, and, uh, and try to choke out our faith, trials, conflict, all of that is coming up and it's clouding our vision of reality – so that when we go to our Bible and say, what does God call me to do today? He calls me to spend time with him. He calls me to love my wife and my family. He calls me to, to reach out and try to, to share the gospel with those that don't know him. I think encouragement helps blow away all those things and helps us, you said visionary, helps us see ultimate realities, helps us see the unseen, all the motivations we have and the unseen reality to be faithful, to be obedient, to pursue God. Encouragement has that effect. So, so yes, I do think it's visionary in terms of trying to help a person, another person see 
who God is, who we are in Christ, what God has called us to do, what the world, the sinless, perfect world that's coming soon and our place in that, all those realities that are hard to see, they're hard to keep sight of in everyday life, encouragement helps us see those things better. Mm -hmm. Marshall Siegel is my guest. He's a writer and editor at DesiringGod.org. Talking about this important gift of encouragement and how critical it is. And I know there's someone who needs your encouragement. And you probably just had that name of that person, the face of that person pop into your brain right as I said that. And you thought to yourself, yep, I know exactly someone who needs my encouragement. So I want to stir in your heart that God would um, have you reach out to that person in some way and offer your encouragement. And I, 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 Marshall, I hope I've been listening carefully, but I thought I was encouraging you and you said, Ooh, no, that might be flattery. So we might have to come back after the break and sort that out just a little bit more. Is that cool? Sounds great. All right. We'll take a short break and be right back. If you let me know when was the last time you felt like you were really encouraged, just text me that to 877-933-2484. I'd like to do a kind of a short survey. Be right back. back with Marshall Siegel from DesiringGod.org. We're talking about someone needs your encouragement. And we're really doing a, an interesting a discussion on what encouragement is versus flattery. And there's some really dynamite questions and thoughts and messages coming in, um, Marshall. So let me get to a couple of them here. Um, here's a question. Can encouragement contain an element of confronting inaccurate thinking or beliefs if that confrontation points a person towards choices or beliefs that lead them to truth? Absolutely. And so whoever asked this question, I think, is seeing what I'm part, part of what I'm saying in that encouragement is meant to to build courage for real obstacles, which means one of the distinguishing factors. So you you were asking right before the break. What distinguishes encouragement from yes. flattery, and why did I think that your what you said to me right. might be flattery? Right. And three, there's three. We can touch on these, but this one touches the first one. Three distinguishing things: true encouragement tells the truth. Flattery generally doesn't. Hmm. True encouragement tells the truth. True encouragement aims at obedience. We can come back to these, and then true encouragement strengthens hope in God, not self. So those are three ways on distinguishing encouragement from flattery. But I'm going to focus on the first one, tells the truth, because that answers this question. So encouragement tells the truth. And you're going to see this in, in the Bible over and over and over again. So um, the example that came to mind, I was going to say this for the end, but I'll say it now. Jesus to his disciples right before he's going to the cross, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. You're going to abandon me what he's saying to them. Yet I'm not alone, for for the Father is with me. I have said these things over the last several chapters. I have said these things to you that in me, 
you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think that answers the question you're asking because he doesn't just say the thing that's going to make them feel good. No, he says, you think that you're strong enough to do this with me right now? You think you're going to stand by me? Peter's saying, I'll die with you before I, before I betray you. And then, and then three times denies even knowing him. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, they think we're ready to go. And he's saying, no, you're going to leave me alone. You're going to be in your home. When I need you most, you're going to be back in your home hiding. But I say these things to you now so that you'll take heart. And when you have tribulation after I'm gone, you'll know I've overcome the world. Wow. And I'll be with you. Um, I think that's encouragement. I so I think too. encouragement is, it does. If, if there's distorted reality, if there's, if there's lies that are being believed, if there are things that are going to keep this person from following the Lord when, when trials come or when, when friction comes in the Christian life, absolutely, we need to be ready to say, you're wrong about this. You're, you're, you're living in sin. You're, you're believing a lie. You're letting this thing get a hold of you that should not have a hold of you. Absolutely. I think that's a vital thread in encouragement. Mm-hmm. Wayne said, I had a girl tell me one time that flattery will get you uh, everywhere. She wasn't stating this in a sexual or a personal way, but more as a matter of fact. I never forgot it because uh, for much of the world, that is likely true. And I got another nice comment, um, which I appreciate. Last time I felt encouraged was last night. My husband looked at me after putting our young kids down and hosting a meal for our community group at church. And he said, you are the hardest working person I know with all genuine genuineness. All day I've been thinking about what he said, and it has helped me as I care for my children and clean my home, reminding me that I... Um, of the hard work I do is making a difference, not only in our home, but prayerfully with God's hand upon it for his kingdom. Beautiful. It is beautiful. And I believe, I, I believe her. I do too. Um, and you, you could say, well, she probably knows somebody that's harder working. Depends on how many people she knows. But I really believe that given how much she gets to see how hard he works, she can say that with a full heart. It's not flattery. It's her saying, this is what I see. This is the evidence of grace I see. In your life now, if she never says anything correcting, if, if, if there's never a sense of challenging or or uh, being willing to point out when when he comes up short or or when he's not being faithful to his word or or whatever it is, then then it might be flattery. But I, when I hear that from a wife, I think she has a better view than anybody of of how hard he works, and she doesn't get to see how hard a lot of other folks works. So I think it's a good example of encouragement, a good way to say, I see God working in you, and I want you to persevere in it. Mm-hmm. So encouragement tells the truth. Tells the truth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas flattery twists and inflates the truth. So flattery feels a need to take some small good and make it seem great or something mm-hmm. good, make, make it seem excellent or, or see a little bit of fruit and make it seem like this bursting garden, like flattery has to inflate, inflate, inflate to make the other person feel better. True encouragement, it's just honest. It commends what's commendable. It affirms the evidences of grace that it sees, but it doesn't feel the need to exaggerate. It knows that to exaggerate is to lie and to put this person's hope and confidence on really faulty footing. Mm -hmm. And good encouragement also aims at obedience. Right. And I'm pulling these three. You can go read it for yourself. But Joshua 1, 6 to 9 is 
Um, Moses has died. Joshua's going to lead the people into the promised land. And so what will God say to Joshua at this particular moment? And this was really helpful for me. So you can, you can go read it, Joshua 1, 6 to 9. But three times he says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And I think you can see in those verses where God isn't afraid to tell Joshua the truth, that, that what they're about to do is hard. And they're, they're about to go into conflict with army after army, um, and it will be hard, but he will be with them. But then he says in, in the verses, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not uh, turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So laced into his encouragement, I'm going to be with you wherever you go, is don't turn from my word. Stay on the path of obedience. You're going to be tempted in every way to abandon what I have called you to do. It's going to be so much easier to turn back and run away from this conflict. But stay, uh, stay, stay true to my word. Don't turn from the left or to the right. Obey. The text, the New Testament text that comes to mind is 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts. That sounds like encouragement. And establish them. So it's a good picture of encouragement. Comfort and establish them for what? In every good work and word. That's a picture of encouragement. Establishing someone else's heart so that they can commit themselves to every good work and word, deed and word, so that they can go be a blessing to other people. Marshall, what about people that might be listening, feeling a little bit slighted, like, you know, I sort of grew up without much encouragement. I really fought to survive, and and I. What is this encouragement you're talking about? I want some of that, and they feel like they've got a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a sadness over the fact that they weren't encouraged. Yeah, that was part of my burden for writing the article is sensing that in, at least in some of the the circles that I've been in, that there hasn't been a robust enough vision of encouragement to really practice it, and some of that is just not not identifying it, prioritizing it, practicing it together, but sometimes it's just because we don't know what it is. So I hope conversations like this can help create a category for we want to grow in this together as a community. So if that's not, if you're not getting that in your family, which is a lot of people, it's probably more people than it, than it's not, honestly. Um, I would encourage you to lean into the local church. Jesus says, anyone who's left father, mother, sister, brother for me will receive a hundredfold in this time and more in the time to come. Mm-hmm. And I think by part of what he means by that is that those who don't have fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers who love Jesus and who love them in Jesus, that they're going to find a hundredfold in the, in the body of Christ and the family of Christ. And so I would say lean in there and, and say, I think I need more courage for the Christian life. Would you be that kind of, mm-hmm. would you help, help me find that kind of courage in the Lord? Yeah. Um, might, it's going to take practice. Yeah. Might um, encouragement be a lean protein and flattery be a pixie stick? I think that's a good picture. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Marshall, great to see you. So good to Merry see Christmas. you. Merry Christmas. Have me back, please. So, Oh, I will. So enjoy you coming in. Marshall Siegel has been my guest. You can uh, read his uh, t- this article that he has at DesiringGod.org. We're going to take a little break and come back and learn some Greek. Let's get it started. 
to Chris Palmer when he comes on the show. I enjoy him. I know you do too. We're always learning Greek from Chris. He's written a whole bunch of books on Greek and Greek word study. I'll be glad to have him on. Chris, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be with you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, last time you were on, I think uh, you had Peter as your host. So I did. I was missing you. You know, it's, he, Peter's great, but uh, hey, it's good to have you thank back. Thank you. Thank you. And now we're going to talk today about some of the Greeks surrounding the Christmas story. Does that sound about right? That's correct. That's correct. Well, I, I um, am excited to, to learn. Are we going for what particular uh, chapter and verse are we looking at? Well, I think we could go and begin with Luke here. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, a good narrative, but you know, there's so much richness in Luke's account and Luke's narrative, and, and there's just a lot that we're looking for. And maybe one of the more interesting things that perhaps we could start is the fact that, and I don't, I don't think the average person would see this, it takes some just kind of skill and training your eyes to see. But if you look in Luke chapter 1, and you look in Luke chapter 2, you'll notice that the word all is used a whole bunch of times. And I'll perhaps, you know, now when you look at it, you'll see it. But if you look, let's say, Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4, you know, following all things closely. Luke one forty eight, from behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Luke one sixty three, and they all wondered. And then you see in Luke one sixty five, and fear came on all their neighbors. And Luke mm. one sixty six, all who heard them laid this up in their hearts, saying, "What then will the child be?" And so you see this going on, and it's it's happening too much to, in my opinion, be some sort of accidental thing. So the word "all" in the Greek is "pas," the way we would spell it in English is "pas," um, and it, it means obviously what it sounds like. There's no special meaning to it. It means every, everyone, each. But the way it's being used, it describes totality and a degree of completeness. The fact that it's used 23 times in two chapters, when it, it doesn't have to be in there, but it's in there, would probably mean that it's referring to a high degree of completeness. Um, for instance, Luke 248, or 218, and all, or who heard it wondered what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. So, what I think, what I would argue for is the fact that it's used here to emphasize all of the mighty acts that God did to send Jesus into the world, and the fact that all of these mighty acts were for all the people who were born into sin, so that God could save humanity from its brokenness. And from its darkness. So what we see, what we see in the birth narrative of Christ is we see God doing a lot of things, and is referring to all His mighty acts. And the fact that this was for all of us, because all of us were born into sin, all of us are broken by our own sinfulness, all of us are in need of a Savior, and God did a lot of mighty acts so that we could have that Savior and call Him Emmanuel. Wow, that's so fascinating, Chris. I already feel like I've gotten my money's worth. Seriously, I mean, twenty all is twenty three times in two chapters, Luke one and two. I, yeah, I did not 20, know that until today. Yeah, you know, we have a way of you know, a lot of us we, we do kind of chapter and verse, go verse by verse, and we kind of look at verse one, verse two, verse three. But I always you know, tell students kind of take a get in the get in the imaginary helicopter and hover over the chapters and the verses and try to see things from a bird's eye view. 
and you know, and when when you do that, you just see that um, it's there a lot. Like Luke chapter two thirty one, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Luke chapter two thirty eight, um, give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So you know, you have have this anomaly that's there. And, you know, that really, I think that's really important because all of us have been affected. Look at just the last two years. All of us have been affected by a pandemic. Mm-hmm. All of us have been affected by rising prices and war and just things that have been taking place all over the world. And the sickness and disease and dealing with different types of uh, upheaval in, in politics and um, being in lockdown and, you know, the stresses that come with to be vaxxed or to not to be vaxxed. And we've all dealt with a lot in the last couple of years. And, you know, Christmas is really a time where we give God thanks for the Savior who's come for all of us. And and, it, and for him to bring the Savior into the Lord, I mean, God had to orchestrate a lot of mighty acts to do that. And, um, you know, it's a time for us to pause and, and be reflective of, number one, our brokenness and sin, but we don't stop there. We think about is goodness and sending to us a savior mm-hmm. for I'm all just, people. I'm obsessed now with the word all. Pas, P-A-S. P-A-S, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm looking <laughs> through Luke uh, chapter two and I'm, I'm now it's just screaming off the page. Right. So and, you see it now, right? And now I'm, now I'm seeing it and that's all I can see right now, which is fantastic. And, and now all of a sudden these verses are just taking on a deeper meaning. When I look at verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Mm -hmm. Yep, Luke 2 or 3, 1, that you've repaired in the presence of all peoples. So, but you know, the interesting thing about the book of Luke is, okay, so Luke is speaking at this point in a very superlative tone, a very superlative manner. So I don't think he's exaggerating, because when you look at Luke, Luke's main message, he's writing to Theophilus, he's writing to a Gentile. Right into a Greek. He's talking about the message of Christ. I always say, you know, Luke is probably a little confused as to why he's following a Jewish Messiah, being a Greek himself. He's probably feeling a little bit out of place. But the whole book of Luke is to show that Christ isn't just a Jewish Messiah. He's Jewish, but he's a Messiah for all people. And so this is very intentional in Luke's part in setting the tone that Jesus Messiah is for Gentile, for Jew for American, for Saudi Arabian, for Russian, for Chinese, you know, whatever race, for whatever country in Africa, he's for everybody. And and that's because everybody's broken by sin. Um, you know, so this, it's really, you know, it's what, what, what we all have in common as human beings that we're sinners, but what we all have in common at a different level is that Jesus came for all. And I, I just think that's the magic of Christmas. You know, we watched 25 days of Christmas on ABC or whatever, and everybody's, you know, obsessed with, you know, Chris, uh, Santa Claus and Christmas trees and gifts. But really what pulls everybody together is, is, is Christ. You know, I always would, would tell my congregation that on Christmas Eve, it's a very sacred night. Everybody's hopefully with the people they care about the most and love the most. And we go outside on Christmas Eve. You know, if you get a chance to do that, it's nighttime out. There's always some sort of calm... There's some sort of uh, mystique about Christmas Eve. When you look up into the night sky, you know it's Christmas Eve. And that, to me, maybe I'm the only one that sensed that, but it, it, it's that Christ came and that we're celebrating and the world is pausing to, to, to take into consideration the need of the Savior. I know exactly what you're talking about, Chris. 
You see the spectacle of the night sky on Christmas mm-hmm. Eve, and it's it's unbelievably magical to think he came. He came. Yeah. God with us. Yeah. God with us. Yeah. And it, it just it's humbling. It, it's very humbling, and I thank God that you know for this holiday because this is really what you know, this is really what it's all about. That he gave me. We wouldn't have the we wouldn't have the death. The bur- we wouldn't have Easter if we didn't have Christmas. So we can't have Easter without Christmas, right? Right. And you living in Michigan and me in Minnesota, we're looking up at the night sky going, this is so beautiful. And then our next thought is, wow, is it cold. <laughs> what am I doing out here? Exactly. Jacket. I've got to get inside. i got to get back in. And the cocoa. Yeah. The Reverend Chris Palmer is my guest. He's founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. He's also the founder of Chris Palmer Ministries and currently a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And he's also the host of the very popular podcast, Greek for the Week. And we learn Greek from... Our friend Chris, he's written a whole bunch of books. Um, the one that I, I get such a huge kick out of is Strange Scriptures, Deciphering 52 Weird, Bizarre, and Curious Verses from the New Testament. But today we're talking about some of the Greek uh, Greek words surrounding the Christmas story. And I tell you, Chris, I, I love the, the way in which the word all has shown up 23 times in two chapters. So yeah. what else? What else can we look at in the Christmas story? We may have talked about this uh, once or twice on here, but I, I like to come around to this. Um, I like to come around to this on on the Christmas um, when we talk about Christmas. Uh, so now we'll move to Matthew's Gospel, and you know the way that you know we we have this thing called inclusio. We talked about this on the show before. Inclusio is a literary device that a writer would use in biblical times. I don't necessarily think Western writers use this much today um, because we're just not that came to doing this. Um, but it's a sandwiching effect. They would put, they put a word, you know, at the top and they'd put a word at the bottom and then that would be the same word. And then everything in between sort of illustrates that word. I'll give you an example. In Matthew chapter one, the way that we're introduced to Jesus, you know, his, he makes his grand introduction in, in the book of Matthew it actually in the new Testament first thing that Jesus is called in the New Testament is Emmanuel, God with us, right? So, I mean, that's what Christmas is all, all about, is that he's God with us. But then, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, the last the last verse of Matthew, okay, in the last chapter, Jesus tells his disciples, you know, don't, don't take heart, or you know, behold, you do in the Greek, which means pay attention, this is very important, take notes. Don't forget this. He says, I am with you always. And the Greek word is ego meth, humon amy, which uh, the ego in the front is emphatic. So he's saying, I am with you. So the way that we we introduce to Christ and the way that we leave Christ in the book of Matthew is that he's God with us. That's very important because Matthew's trying to hammer something down to you that begins in the birth story. You know, we, we talk about Emmanuel in the birth story, though it's only part of the Christmas story. But this idea of God with us, it only begins in the Christmas story. It carries on throughout the narrative in Matthew. In Matthew 28, he says, um, two or more gathered together, my name there, am I with you? Okay, that's halfway through the narrative. That's Matthew 18. And then you see that in Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew wants to make it very clear that he came as a baby in a manger. He died. Okay, he was crucified. But he's still with us. And, and Luke bangs that out a little bit more in the book of Acts as you begin to go through the Acts narrative. Um, 
you know, Jesus ascends into heaven, um, and then he sends the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So you're kind of wondering now, you have the Holy Spirit, he's on the scenes, he's with his disciples. But when you get to Acts chapter 11, uh, Paul has to make a decision, or is it Acts 16, Acts 16, where he's going to go? Is he going to go to Macedonia? Where's he going to go? And it says the Spirit of Christ directs him. So Luke picks the word Spirit of Christ instead of Holy Spirit there. And it's interesting that he does that because the only other time that you see that, what I think he's trying to let you know is that it is the Trinity. And and yes, it's one essence and three separate persons, but I think he calls the Spirit the Spirit of Christ because he wants you to know that it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Christ is still with us. He hasn't left. Just because he's not in a manger, he's not walking the earth in his in his humanity at the moment doesn't mean that he's not with us. He's with us through his spirit. And Matthew and Luke confirm that to us. So we need to cons- we need to still call upon him as Emmanuel. And I think Christmas is a good reminder that his abiding presence has never left us. Through his spirit, it's with us today. Wow. Great, great point. Thank you so much for that. Chris Palmer is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We're going to continue to learn some Greek, especially some of the Greek around the Christmas story. We'll be right back. If you haven't had your dinner yet, maybe you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner tonight. Maybe you're working on it. Always good to learn Greek right before you eat. That's the theory I just came up with. Uh, Chris Palmer is my guest. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. He also hosts a very popular podcast called Greek for the Week. He loves teaching Greek, and we love having him. So, Chris, what other uh, Greek words surrounding the Christmas story uh, are worth paying attention to or looking at or discussing? Yeah. Well, we have this interesting, um, and we'll go back to Luke chapter 2, and, uh, you know, we find here, you know, let me just say this. I mean, we'll, we'll stay on the Greek, but the Christmas story is something. I, I always do Christmas in July at my church because I like to get my church members in the habit of not just going to Luke 2 and, and Matthew's account only at Christmas. Because if you think about the Christmas story, it just is really an absurd, strange Hmm. odd story. I mean, it just is really weird. You have a virgin, she's giving, she's getting pregnant, you know, and she's um, delivering this baby, and, you know, they, they go to Bethlehem, and all the wrong people kind of show up in the story. Um, you know, you have shepherds coming to, it's just a just really odd, upside-down story, and it's just full of oddities all over. It, it's a lot of fun to explore some of those. But you have this instance where, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, Two verse nine, an angel of a, the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds who are, keep, who are keeping uh, watch over their flocks. Okay, you know, we, we know the song, right? And then the angel of the Lord says to them in verse number ten, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Great that will be." And here you go again for all peoples. Mm. Luke's trying 
he's trying to tell you again, this isn't just for the Jewish people. This is for this is for everybody. And the fact that you know he he's talking to shepherds is a, a sermon in and of itself. And then he says here in, in Luke chapter uh, two verse eleven four. Now this is if you're studying Greek and you have a Greek New Testament in front of you, you find here the Greek word hati or hoti, however you want to say it. This is a word that I tell students, you need to pay attention when you see this word. You train your eyes to every time you see this word, hoti, to mark it in your mind because it's telling you the reason for something. So everything in verse number 10, the reason why there's good news, the reason why there's a great joy, and the reason why all the people can expect good news and can have great joy is because of what I'm about to tell you in the next verse. Hmm. You've got to keep going. Like This is why. And he says unto you, unto you. Now, if we stopped right there, that would be good enough. Unto you. And so the Greek word there is mean, and it's functioning the dative case. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody if they don't know what the dative case is. The dative case is functioning in a way that uh, we would call the dative of advantage. It's for the advantage of the subject or the, the person that's going to receive what's about to be said. So the way I say it is, the reason why we have good news and great joy is for or because unto you, it's for your advantage that in the city of David, there is a Savior who is being born, and then you see this, who is, okay? This is, this is uh, the Greek word has, who is, and then you see it in the Greek, okay, Christos Okurios, Christ the Lord, or the Lord Christ, and this is so very important. You know, it's not the word kurios. It didn't just say Lord. It doesn't just say Christos. You have kurios, okay, in the Greek, which would be the name of God, Yahweh. It would be, this is how it comes over in the New Testament, the whole kurios. This is, this is God. And you see that word there. But it's not only God. It's God as Messiah. It is the Messiah, God, God of the Old Testament, now coming in the form of a child in the manger, Jesus Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, who is being uh, commissioned by the Father, by the Spirit, and it's coming unto us. And guess what? It's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. And this is going to set up Luke's narrative to show that at different places in the narrative, okay, people are going to come along the Messiah's path who are the wrong people, women, marginalized, disenfranchised people. Um, it's not just for the religious leaders. And this is why he's telling it to shepherds, because shepherds at that time were the worst people. They were often known as crooks. They would sometimes hang out by the side of the road and rob people. They weren't good people. They were the slums. They were the, the, the slime balls. Of, they were kept on the outside of the street <laughs> because nobody liked them. And he said, unto you for all people, if you can come for shepherds, he could come for anybody. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's amazing. I, I'm curious as to when shepherds got such a bad rap. I mean, I think of you know, <laughs> Moses, David, Abraham. They were all shepherds. They were all, yeah, they were all, they were definitely all shepherds. But, you know, I guess by this point, I don't know when they got a bad rap, but, you know, David and Moses kind of had a rough side to them. So maybe they got it while being hanging out with their shepherd buddies. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe it's that, those shepherd boys. <laughs> those old shepherd boys. They just weren't, they weren't known as, as good people. And um, so it, it's really the last person you'd expect, you know, an angel to make an announcement to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I love about the narrative is that 
you really don't see any Pharisees showing up to the to the Messiah. You don't see any of the religious leaders of the high priests showing up. You see, again, the wrong people. And so I think that I always encourage this when I'm, you know, when I'm teaching is that, you know, Christmas is for all the wrong people. It's for the alcoholic. It's for the suicidal. It's for the, the person who has not been a good father, not been a good mother. It's for the person who's filled with regret. If somebody's listening at, at this moment, and you know, a lot of people hate the holidays, especially as they get older, because you know they've blown it. They live life in regret. This is what Christmas is for: that Jesus came for the lonely, He came for the lost, He came for the least. And I, you know, it's always my prayer on Christmas Eve that 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 the spirit of Christmas, which we'll call, I, mean, I know it's a kind of a worldly term, but I'm going to reimagine it to mean the spirit of God, who by the Spirit, Christ was born, okay, Mary conceived by the Spirit. The Spirit of Christmas will touch those people's hearts, not the Grinch, not, you know, Santa. Mm-hmm. But if the Holy Spirit would reach those people in their homes, wherever they're at, and breathe hope into them that Christ, if He if he could come for a bunch of shepherds and, and tell you, hey, there's good news for you, you don't have to be dirt balls anymore. It's good news for all of us. Chris, what part of the Christmas story especially captivates you? You know, it it probably it's that's really a good question. I th- I think different parts at different times have have captivated me. You know, one of the most interesting things I've taught on I think is really interesting is when you study the Magi. I mean, the Magi were the Magi were. I mean, they don't get there during Christmas. They don't make it by the twenty fifth. Okay, they probably make <laughs> it. They make they make it like a, a, a whole lot. They actually make it two years later. So they, it's a couple of Christmases before they actually get there because they show up when Jesus is a young child in the house. So they're not all the mad guy under the tree. It's probably not, you know, correct. But but they are they're they're soothsayers. They're they're these people from Persia. They come all the six hundred some miles and um, to see the Christ. And, and that you know the A. W. Toza has a really cool quote, and he says that everybody who is wandering is not lost. It shows again that God is reaching all the way across, okay, into Persia, He's bringing forth these magi. Why are these a part of the story? He's showing that, you know, the kings of the earth, the kings of the world are coming down to see Jesus. I remember I was in uh, China one time, and we're at the Imperial Palace, and, and they were talking about the, the the individual that started this and what a wicked king he was. And I remember thinking to myself, you hear of all these kings in all the world that were wrong and evil, but then you have Jesus, and there's never been quite a king like Jesus. And so I think everybody wants a king like Jesus, and it shows that even the even the Magi, they they recognize that there's something about this king that makes him the king of kings, and he's, it's because he's a king that doesn't make war. He's, he's the prince of peace, you know, and, and that to me is that, you know, the king is in a manger. He's humble. That's where he was born, um, and I, that just amazes me to show that the God of the world, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He came to die, so mm. that truly is what uh, probably is the most majestic part of the Christmas story to me. Yeah, I love talking about the Magi because they, they, the star of Bethlehem was mm-hmm. apparently uh, appeared only to them in the East. It appeared to them. I mean, and they would have, and they probably would have gotten acquainted with that idea because of during Babylonian captivity, you had Jews over in that area who would have familiarized um, the, the Persians at that time with Jewish prophecy to look for the star. And then it appears. So prophecy comes to pass. You know, they're, they're now seeing the star. And, they're actually going to go looking for it, and it brings them to probably what they did not expect to see. I mean, I, I think they were probably really surprised when they saw the young child of Jesus. Yeah, I love humbleness. 
I love that Magi do not call it the Star of Bethlehem. They they refer to it as His Star. Mm, yep, yep. That would be that's definitely an anomaly in the text. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's right. In, that's right, right in Matthew two two. Yeah, uh, the star for, that. Yeah. For I, we saw His star when it rose and have come to worship Him. Absolutely, the star that speaks of Him. That would be the fulfillment to the prophecy that they were looking for, and. Um, you know, I've actually done some some looking into what that might have been. Uh, I don't know if they can really pinpoint this, but there's some sort of, they say in 4 BC, uh, uh, some sort of astronomical happening that took place where the different planets came into an alignment. They have that on record. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, definitely was something that was bright. And it's just amazing how God can use different things to reach different people at different times. That gives mm-hmm. us hope. It gives us hope that God can reach whoever who he may and who he desires. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for doing the show. Always great to talk to you. Hey, Bill, thanks so yep. much. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Chris Palmer has been my guest. You can uh, go learn more about Chris. Um, you can Google his name, Chris Palmer Ministries, and you can learn more about him and his writing. I've so enjoyed time with you today. I hope you have liked the show. I have uh, I have enjoyed it, and I love that you are listening, and I'm glad to be part of your day. I happy, hope you have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.